Those of you staying here, let's do this. Let's take our Bibles as we get started. Let's head over to 1 Peter chapter 3 for just a few moments. And while you're turning, let me uh, ask a question. By the way, if you didn't get notes, anybody at the back there that can walk through and hand out Sunday school notes? If anybody needs them. Nate, do you have extra notes in hand? If anybody needs the notes to follow along, why don't you raise your hand? Nate's going to give those to you. Let's just get our minds working on a nice warm summer morning like it is. Name a popular board game that people play. Monopoly's going to be there. Parcheesi? Ooh, that's beyond me. Okay. Clue, trivia, anything else? Checkers. Okay, here's what they said. Clue, Scrabble, Checkers, Chess, and Monopoly was number one. No part cheesy there. Yeah, yeah, can you believe it? Name an outside winter sport people compete in. You got this down pat. Olympics are right around the corner. Skiing's there. Ice skating. What's? Snowboarding. Bobsled? Don't you just want to try it one time? If I could be guaranteed, I, I could get out of the thing, you know, once you get in and no injury. I'd love to try it sometime. Anything else? Winter sports. They don't have football in there. Curling. Now, isn't that a sport? Curling is just fantastic. Bobsledding, skating, snowboarding, skiing, and number one was ice hockey. Name something women keep in their purse. I, I, I know everything is the right answer. I, I just, I understand that. <laughs> Be a little bit more specific. What'd you say? Nail file. Lipstick. Kleenex. Mirror, cell phone. Keys. Did anybody say money? Well, credit cards are the newest money, yeah. Sunglasses, tissues, makeup, hairbrush, keys. Okay, there we have something like money in there. A popular school subject. Lunch. <laughs> <laughs> we can tell what happened to you guys when you were in school. Okay. Man. It's popular? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Here's what they had. They had geography, history. I cannot believe history is at the bottom. Science, English, math. Number one was? No. That required work. Recess is number one. Absolutely. Name something dri- other drivers do that irritates you. Oh, do you see how much talking just went right away? Everybody's right, right away we got stuff. Tailgating, no turn signals. They don't move. Does it ever bother you when you come to a stop sign or a light and, it, and they, they're on their phone and they don't go and they don't go? Okay. What else did you have? Anything else bothers you? Headlights? I almost got hit this morning. Seriously, I didn't tell you this yet. But when I came up to Oak and 16th, I looked down, and it was still not real bright out, and I didn't see anything, and I took off, and as I took off, right behind me was a Jeep that had no headlights on. Aren't you thankful? Okay, good, good. <laughs> yeah, that means you should extra love me because something could have happened. That doesn't look like it's going to happen. <laughs> Ride on your bumper, go too slow, drive along in the left lane, the passing lane, and they don't get over. <clears throat> okay. Talking on their phone, not watching, fail to use turn signal, honk at you for no good reason. I, I, when they honk, I've never done anything when they honk at me, right? Yeah, they cut you off. Now, when we talk about getting upset, the Bible talks about people that upset us when it comes to the Word of God. Okay, we're in, in the passage that we've been starting with in most every week is that 1 Peter 3, and this is people are upset with us. It reverses actually in this situation, but our reaction could be we're upset with them. It says in verse 14, if you suffer for righteousness sake, you should be happy. And be not afraid of their terror, their attacks, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God. And that's very interesting because they're, they're undergoing 
uh, persecution, challenges, job loss, criticism from relatives for what they believe and how they're behaving. And he says, but instead of getting troubled by that, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer or a defense to every man that would ask you, why do you do what you do? Why do you believe what you believe? Uh, with, with that ask you with a reason of the hope that is in you, but have a spirit of uh, meekness and fear. And so we've pointed out not everybody's going to agree with what we believe. Or like what we believe. But there still may be some who are questioning. Because, because do some people get upset with us outwardly because they're under conviction inwardly? Does that ever happen? Can you think of any biblical illustration? Somebody that was upset with the Christians outwardly, but inwardly they were under deep conviction. The Apostle Paul, before he got saved. He was killing Christians, but we read, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks of conviction. That's why he was so adamant against Christians, because he was guilty, feeling that guilt. Therefore, we expect that we are expected to be able to explain our beliefs, understand, explain to people what we believe, and why we believe what we believe. And so our goal here is to say, let's cover some of those questions that come up, that are the difficult questions. Some of them I just can't answer. But some of the questions that we can do our very best, if somebody says, well, how do you know there's a God? We talked about that. Somebody says, well, why do you believe in the Trinity? We talked about that. Somebody says, well, what, where did God come from? We talked about that. Somebody said, is, you know, why do you believe that you have to be a Christian to get into heaven? Doesn't all, don't all roads lead to, to Rome type idea or to heaven? We talked about that. Did Jesus really exist as a person? And that seems so silly to us, but it is becoming a popular question in modern society doubting the existence of Jesus as an individual, as a person, or just a legendary character and why we believe he is God. Let, let's deal with a couple passages this morning. One real quickly. God repented. Do you ever do you remember any time it shows up in scriptures where it says God repented? Genesis, Genesis when? Do you remember the situation? So Genesis chapter six, when you're talking right before the flood, yes? Okay. That God repented that he had made man. Okay. Anybody else remember another point where God repented? Nineveh? When Jonah went to preach? And what did God do? He had pronounced he was going to do what to the Ninevites? Going to destroy them. They repent, and so it says God repented. Well, when you and I read the word, okay, you and I will have a little bit, a lot bit, a better understanding, but immediately when most people read the word repented, what, come, what does that seem to imply? Yeah, yeah, I sinned or I made a mistake. Or God had, God had to reverse something that he was intending to do. And so we know that that can't be God's feeling guilty over something he's done in the sense that he's repenting and saying, I made a huge mistake because he's perfect. Okay. He's always good. Does the Lord make mistakes? Now, sometimes I wonder when I look in a mirror, okay, and see me, okay, but uh, in reality, theologically, does God make mistakes? So what's it mean God repented? Yeah, yeah. So let, let's just, if you're in a water cooler discussion with somebody, let's help just to think this through, walk it through. It occurs several times in the scripture. The word means, in the Hebrew where it typically shows up, the activity of reviewing one's actions with feelings of regret for past wrongs. Well, that one doesn't apply to God because God does no wrong. Okay? Uh, in this sense, to change one mind, one's mind. Because repentance is just basically you're headed one direction and then what happens? Yeah, that's all the word means, okay? Now, there can be emotion to it. It could be what a variety of reasons why you reverse. Uh, and most of us understand the reason that that reversal usually has to do with sinful acts and conducts that we're rejecting and turning away. But it doesn't always have to be that way, okay? The word can be you were planning to make a certain purchase. You know, you were going out shopping for a car. You were headed that way to buy the car, and you changed your mind. You could, in a very specific sense, that is a form of repentance, not in this, 
the theological sense, biblical sense, but spiritual sense, but in the, fa- in the very strictest form, you just change your mind about it. Unlike humans, God can do no wrong and make a mistake that causes him to change. Uh, it talks about in James chapter 1 that the Lord is neither tempted nor tempts any man. The Lord doesn't sin, Numbers 13. And here's, here's the, the little twist to it all. Yeah, when God changes and all of a sudden he does something different, did he not know he was going to do that? Yes or no? I mean, so how do we explain this? That God changed his mind in what he was going to do the way we change our mind in what we do. We change our mind if it's not in, in something evil. Okay? But we change our mind. We're going to buy a car, but then we got more new information. We say, we got a better deal here. Does God not know he had a better deal over here? Did he not plan to do that? So how do we, how do we work this? Yeah, I think, I think you, you just hit the... Really, the explanation, the description, the wording isn't necessarily a, more about God as much as it's helping us to understand. It's from a personal, a people's point of view. There's in, the, in the Bible, there is anthropomorphisms. It is the idea of giving um, qualities to God that help us to understand him. Okay, we're taking human things. God is a spirit, but in the Bible sometimes it talks about what about God that helps us to just understand him better. He's a spirit, but sometimes there's wording like the arm of the Lord. Okay. Right? Okay. And so we're using human traits, human characteristics, human responses so that we get a better understanding you know, that we can relate, understand how it's operating, how God is operating. So with an anthropomorphism, which most scholars understand that this repented, has that idea that God is, it's, it is when it's, in most every phrase, when he's changing, he's repented. It's a display of his mercy, which he was going to display. And so what happens, it simply means from our point of view that, let's take, Nineveh, let's take the point of view of Nineveh. God had announced he was going to do what to those people? He was going to destroy him. Jonah comes in, preaches. What does Ninevites do? Okay. And then what does it say? God repented. Did God know they were going to change? Yes. Did he plan to forgive them? But there was a change in basically the announcement of it, what people understood was going to happen so that they could get a compassion. And so when it says he repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them, he always wanted the worship. He always demanded the holy living. He always warned them that they need to repent. He always intended to spare them in response to their repentance. Okay. Once they repented, God adjusted or changed what they thought he was going to do in response to their repentance. So from man's point of view, it's totally accurate to say that God repented. But you and I understand, okay, this doesn't impugn the character of God. This doesn't mean God didn't know what he was going to do. But from, our, from people understanding and seeing how God has, was operating, he changed what he had said he was going to do, even though... He knew what he was going to do, but it was all based upon their repentance. And so in that sense, he repented. And I think when you, the illustration you use, when it says uh, he repented, he repented them that he made man, is there a feeling of regret in that sense that God had some regret for where mankind is? I think there's no doubt about that. So this is one of those, those off things that people will challenge you with and they'll say something about and try to make a big deal and it's really not that big of a deal. Here's one that is more of a big deal. And I want to spend a little bit of time with this one because it is culturally impacting us. It has culturally impacted our country greatly in explaining, trying to figure out where did the races the different human uh, human races, the blacks, the the uh, Orientals, the Caucasian. Where did that Where did that come from? And is there 
Is there innately one of those groups inferior to the other groups? Okay. Has that ever been taught? Is it still being taught? Okay. So if we were to say, okay, where did the races come from? There are some churches, some religious groups that give explanation to it. For instance, let's take one of those groups. Let's take the Mormons. Do you understand where they, what they teach where the black people came from? Anybody familiar with this? Yes, no? Yeah, yeah. The blackness of their skin represents they've been cursed. What, what in Mormon theology, what they teach is this, is they teach we were all in heaven before we come to this earth. That our spirits are already in heaven, that we are eternal babies in heaven until all of a sudden we're conceived and then the God in heaven puts our spirit from heaven into those bodies. And so with that in mind, what they have, what they were traditionally historically taught, okay, is that with some of the extra revelation that uh, Smith got, that all the souls are in heaven before, before they exist on earth, their souls are sent to inhabit. And those souls in heaven, they had a choice of following God or following Satan. A number of those human souls yet to be birthed, they followed Satan in his rebellion. And so those souls in heaven that followed Satan in the rebellion, when they are birthed on this earth, they receive a mark that distinguishes them that they were one of those rebel souls in heaven. They base that mark idea on, anybody remember a mark being given for somebody who did evil? Cain's mark, yeah. They base that on the idea that Cain was marked physically for the evil that he had done. And so their theology says that what happened is all those rebellious spirits in heaven who rebelled, they come to this earth and the mark that they have was they had darker skin. And so that's where the black race came from, is those people, their spirits were rebel spirits in heaven. And so they taught that for a number of years, which meant that black people in their grouping groups were never allowed to be part of the priesthood, had very, very uh, extended limitations. But then, in modern time, in 1978, is that what I, what I have? Yeah, 1978, they had new revelation. And the new revelation said that there was a modification of that theology, um, so not all the blacks were rebel spirits when they were in heaven. Uh, but it was there for a large number of years. And you and I might respond this way by going, that's a really stinky theology. You know, to impugn a whole group of people because of their skin tone and try to come up with a theology that makes it that they were corrupt in heaven. But before we cast stones too far, at another group that we would call cultic. Have Bible churches, Bible believers, have they ever come up with a goofy way of explaining inferiority from one race to another? Yeah, any of you ever hear it? Where's it based on? Genesis 9. You want to go there? Genesis 9. Yep, thank you for pointing it out. Okay, this was common preaching in America's early years. And the reason that it became very common in, and became very common uh, basically in Christendom, even in Europe and America, and became more and more common in the 16th or in the 17th and 18th, 19th centuries. What was going on with black people in the 1600s through the middle 1800s? Slave trade. Okay, and so you've got to somehow justify slave trade. You know, you've got to, got to deal with it theologically. And so what they did is they came up with this doctrine of the black people are cursed, um, the curse of Ham. And so what it is is uh, Genesis 9, if you, I should read the passage and then we can dissect it for, together. In Genesis 9, and uh, I know I'm on a tangent here, but I think it's an important tangent to explain how even groups like our, our church years ago, um, not our church in particular, but Bible churches, how years ago you could misinterpret Scripture to justify something. 
And so what they did is they took this passage that talks about in Genesis 9, starting with verse 20. Noah began to be a husbandman or a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and was drunk, and he was uncovered within his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers without or outside the tent. Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. And Canaan shall be his servant. Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. And so taking that text, they developed a theology called the curse of Ham. The curse of Ham basically points out that twice in this text, if not three times, that it says that one group of people are going to become servants to the other group of pe- groups of people. And so the suggestion had been that Ham, his descendants, went and populated the areas of Africa and some of those, those areas. And Ham, they're, they're, in their theology, they made this comment that Ham in a Semitic tongue means black. And so taking that evidence of Ham being black and taking the idea that his descendants probably went into Africa, that justified, therefore, that there was an inferior race that was cursed to become the servants to other people so it is appropriate for other races to enslave black people. And that became a well-entrenched theology. Did you hear that? Did you ever hear that taught? Yeah? Yeah? In the north, south? In the north as well. Um, So that that whole idea, and you and I have to say, okay, is that true biblically? And, you know, let me me start off saying it's false teaching. It's not biblically correct. Okay, if if we dissect the text, and it's really interesting, I, I personally am of the opinion we don't have all the details. We just have a summary which that frequently happened in these early years. It occurred post-flood, which meant that the world was different than what Noah was used to. And Noah is embarking and being a husbandman, and so is he fully aware, fully, uh, fully understanding what can happen with fermentation and things of that sort where he ended up getting drunk. The possibility is this is learning experiences, that he as a farmer of the vineyards didn't understand how that would affect him as time went by. And so changes in the climate, things like that, he ends up being drunk because of it. And in his drunken stupor, he's naked in his tent. And as a result, his son, in this first reading, his son Ham saw the nakedness, goes and tells his brothers. And when you know, they heard it, they respected it, and they went backwards, and they covered up their father, as you all know. And here's the verse that throws me. When Noah awoke, he knew what his youngest son had done unto him. What does that mean? And the reason it throws me to just say, well, you know, Canaan is cursed, not Ham. Ham is the one that told the brothers. And the conclusion that many have is, well, Ham saw nakedness. Maybe he told his brothers and ridiculed his dad, and they covered him up. And when Noah woke, he saw, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. What does the done to him mean? And who is the youngest son? And the reason I question this is, well, I question a whole bunch of this, is Canaan is cursed, not Ham, but Ham is the one that in the initial reading, it looks like Ham did something disrespectful to the father. And that's the initial reading. But as you go through it, think this through. Okay, there's no doubt there's an issue here about being respectful. We, we don't question that. But the text talks about Canaan, twice in this text, says he is the son of Ham. He's introduced that way. Before he is cursed, he's introduced that way. As well, Noah's youngest son, it says, did something to him. But if you look at the rendering in the previous verses and in chapter 10, Ham is mentioned Not as the youngest, but number two out of three, if they're putting him in the order. So why is 
Canaan cursed, number one, for something Ham, his father, did. And why is his father called the youngest son when he's not the youngest son? But we do know scripturally, son could mean what? Grandson. That happened frequently. And there's several times in the book of Genesis that when it talks about the son, it's a descendant. So the, the idea in my mind is he could have been the youngest male descendant at this point to Noah. That's Canaan. And Canaan is the one who's cursed. It strikes me he did something. He is the youngest in this text of all that are listed. And so when he comes, something that had happened in this is there might be something here that's not given all the details. Okay? It could be that Canaan did something very inappropriate while Grandpa was in his nakedness. As vile as that sounds, is that typical of Canaan's descendants? Who, who are included in Canaan's descendants that are very, very well known for their immorality? Sodom and Gomorrah. And why are the Canaanites to be wiped out of all the people? When the, when in the book of Judges, what does God point out about the Canaanites? Their wickedness is so extensive compared to everybody else. Child sacrifice, their immorality, and their vileness. And I can't help but think, sins of the father are often visited to the seventh generation. So it could be that in this, uh, details we don't know. I'm just trying to piece together that Ham isn't the youngest, but the youngest did something not said something necessarily, but did something. And that youngest one, Canaan, is the one cursed, not Ham. And uh, so putting it all together, he may have said something to his dad. His dad knew about it. And maybe Ham did the same thing that David had done. His son had done sin that we looked at last week, and David didn't do anything. And so the brothers went in, and they covered up their father's nakedness. And so what you have is this curse, not upon a race of people, but upon one clan, Canaan's clan. And Canaan's clan that we know about is the one that populated this region. And it wasn't that they were black people or Negro people, but they were the peoples that were a little bit darker skinned, yes, olive skin like the Israelites, Semitic people. And so that idea is developed that, in my mind, that the curse is the curse on, on Canaan, and he may have very well done something to his grandfather physically that his grandfather responds to and understands and knows when he comes out of the stupor. But the bottom line is there is no curse on Ham and all the black people. It was a curse on Canaan. Why did they call it the curse on Ham? Maybe just to justify the idea of the racial curse. But the curse is on Ham, and Ham is the youngest one who did something. And his generations, do they end up becoming slaves to the Jews? Yes. To Solomon? Yes. And so historically it's all fulfilled. But why would people do that? Okay. Why, why would, you know, we've, and I've just mentioned different things. By the way, the, there is no historical evidence anywhere for the idea that the Semitic language, Ham, meant black. It is frequently quoted that Ham meant black, but there is no historical linguistic evidence that it ever did in any of the Semitic tongues. Um, so it's one of those those. Statements that are commonly repeated, but there's no factual background for it. And uh, so with that in mind, the, uh, I, I, I only assume that people develop this whole doctrine with a premise we have to explain and support the idea of one race being inferior and therefore should be subjugated because they were, they were pronounced to be subjugated. And they include a whole group of people where it's just one tribe and not a whole race of people. But with that in mind, okay, let's go back to the original question. Where did races come from? Genetics? What do you mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to fully agree with you on that one, just that, okay. The Bible, and, and I'm going to back up a little bit more, and I'm going to probably get caught up with a common terminology when we're talking about it, but biblical terminology, there is no races in the Scripture. From biblical terminology, okay, there are tribes, there are nations, but when it talks about race, there is how many? There's just one. Okay, the human race. Okay, and so in reality, we belong, and the words are typically in your English translation humanity, mankind. Okay, we're not distinguished as, as you know, multiple different people, uh, people races. Um, the reason I'm bringing it up and trying to just stress that point is all of us have our origin back in Adam and Eve, and even, even who else follows that? That narrows it as well. Noah's family. Okay, we all have our origin in those, in those families, okay? And from those families, we have the, the different races. And even in the New Testament, we're all one blood. We're one species. We're one race. One of the reasons we know that is what did he say the different kinds should do in populating and spreading out? The animals included. What were they supposed to do? Multiply after their, their kind, can humans, the reason that we're one race, can we multiply within the different people groups? Right? You know, it, it, we're, we're, not, we're not a totally different species. Caucasians aren't totally different than black people. They can procreate together. Right? Okay, therefore we are one kind, one species, one race. Okay, and so for those who want to divide and make huge distinctions between us as, as, a, as races, where did that first come from? Where was that first propagated and became extremely common language? Do you want to take a guess? What happens historically is the terminology started coming through after Darwin's origin of the species, what did he propagate? What, what, what teaching? Evolution. What is evolution all about? Survival of the fittest. Does evolution promote the idea of superiority, inferiority? Yes. And in the time that it came, what was happening in the world? Slavery was very common. And so when you read it historically and say, okay, where did this, the idea of different races became very, very popularized along with the theory of evolution to, to try to distinguish and create this difference of you know, superiority and inferiority. We as believers go back to the Bible and understand there's what? One race. Which one is superior? It can't be because we're one race and all men are made in the image of God, no matter what their color. And so this, the, this whole idea of multiple races came out of a theology, uh, a teaching that was very anti-biblical about creation. But it's coming to a point where it's very common. We use this all the time in our, in our discussions, right? We talk about multiple races, and so we use a term that really is an inaccurate term. We are one race. And we, we are one species or one kind. We aren't these multiple divided groups that just kind of evolved uh, at different levels and some just became inferior. Do, am I making sense where I'm going with this? Because this, this premise of we're all one kind and one made in the image of God, it really deals with that issue of prejudice. It really, it takes it right out of the picture because we're all equal. We're all created in the image of God. <clears throat> but if I want to propagate that certain people groups are superior over other people groups, I come up with a new explanation that we evolved at different levels. And so this whole idea is, is very, very interesting when you study it historically where it comes from. And it came in that time period. And so the racial distinctions, do we recognize there are, and I'm using the term, 
uh, subgroups, I'll use it racial just because we're commonly using that. What are some of the distinctions that are pointed out? There are differences between these people groups. And I don't, don't feel like you're being prejudiced. What are some of the things that are put out that says, okay, there are distinctions? Okay, skin tone, skin color. What? Language is going to be secondary, but, but it will play into this. Like what? Eyes are different, yes? Eyelids are different, yes? Okay, height can be different, right? What else? Hair, color, amount. <laughs> texture, texture plays into this, yes? Okay. Uh, nobody wants to say it, but lips. Okay, different physical features that just come up and we say, okay, yeah, this is here, it is part. Is there also in some of these people groups predispositions to different, different diseases? Yes, yes, it's true. So where did this all come from? If we're all, let's, we're all one race, how did we get this variety? How did we get all of this happening? And so you and I say, well, the, the, there's an easy explanation to all this. It's not that difficult that there are, within a race, within a species, within a kind, there are variations. It, it, it's, not, it's not hard at all. The Bible doesn't detail where it came from, but we know when he created, he created the different species. Now I'm talking about animal and human. Let's just take it all in one big picture. And they had the ability to produce within their own kind. People can, all, can produce with other people. Okay? Horses can produce with... Dogs procreate with dogs. Okay, so they're limited to their species. Okay, but within those species is their variety. Okay, and then the variety restarts once they come off the ark. And uh, most of the animals, most of the animals taken on the ark, how many were there? Okay, two. There were some that had seven and more. But two for most, so how many dogs did they take on the ark? How many different breeds are there now? Are there lots? Okay, okay. So, so sometime between now and back to the ark, there is this different, something happened. Something was going on. The multiple variations within a species became more pronounced in certain subgroups in certain locales where the similar traits produced offspring, highlighting those traits over and over again until it became the norm of that subgroup. Well, what we, okay, let's take horses. I don't know a thing about horses other than I should stay away from them. Okay, I know that much. What's the differences in different horse breeds? Okay. Size, strength, speed. I think all horses are fast because they're faster than me. Okay, but is there variations in horses for speed? Anything else that's different, you who know horses? Okay, we've probably said the different things. Okay, that in temperament, are there different temperaments within certain animals? Okay, okay. So we have, oops, let me back up. So we have that, but there was only two that went on the ark. But in time, what, how did they get down to all these different breeds that are now, um, uh, what, what's the word for, a purebred? Okay, so how did that come about? But let, let's take dogs. I don't even want to take cats. Okay, just... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Take cats. Okay. Okay. But let's talk about dogs. Cats, the same thing. Variations. What are they? Yeah, I mean, what kind of variations between dogs? Size? What's that? Oh, the most ferocious ones are those little ones. Do, do you have the little ones? They just bark, 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 bark. My neighbor has one of the little ones. When I go out in the yard, that dog just bark, 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 bark. And when I go back in the house, you see the dog. Yeah. Right? Do dogs do that? And if you're outside and you took one step towards that thing, okay. But anyway, they vary in anything else? Do they, somebody said it, tails, okay, ability, do their ears differ? 
Okay, so we have all these differences that come. Where did these all come from? Okay, in that idea of these different animals. Okay, so we look and say, okay, that it, and I'm not saying people are, are animals, please. But there is the same type of development in the species as there is in these different subgroups. When it comes to races of people, again, one race, but we're using the terminology that is, is commonly understood. We're actually one race with multiple variations. As well, these variations became group traits because if you're going to be with blonde people and the next, you're just, you're, you're Generation is all, the first level is all blonde. Chances are blonde. And then what happens in time? Blonde becomes the predominant trait. Okay? So if somebody is dark-skinned, can they have offspring that are light-skinned? Yes. But what happens in, if they're staying with their own people group over time, what becomes the dominant characteristic? The skin color, okay? And so you have those variations. Given to the fact that God scattered people at Babel or, okay, latently there was, and I, your comment about everybody, all these possibilities in Adam and Eve. All these possibilities in Noah's sons and daughters, their, their wives, all those possibilities, okay. So if they start associating with people who look like them, in time, what's going to happen? There are the, the groups are going to develop those as the dominant characteristics in successive generations. Can climate play into this? Yes. Can people, can there be adaptation? I'm going to use the, the bad word. Can there be, um, I'm going to use evolution. Adaptation. Can that happen in relationship to climate? Okay. Can a, a bear turn white to fit into its climate? Yes? Can that same bear taken out of the climate turn into a brown bear in successive generations? Yes, it does. It happens. Okay. So why is that the case? Okay. Is it, is it you know, where we go, skin tones, for instance? Okay, when we talk skin tones, these are some of those different facts about the skin colors. And it's interesting that different color of skin is going to respond differently to the sun's rays. And so the, the synthesizing vitamin D, things like that, skin tone has an impact on it. Isn't it interesting? When you look at different regions of the world where there is predominantly dark skinned, it is areas that are more equatorial countries in the early phases of men spreading through the world out of the Middle East, that their bodies may have simply adapted to the climate. And, there's, and that had that potential within them. Bottom line is this, okay? Something had to cause subgroups, people to, to gather together. And then those dominant characteristics kept on developing. Anybody have any guess where in Scripture there was something that happened that people would form subgroups? Why the Tower of Babel? Yeah. Okay, you, you, the first thing you're going to gravitate towards is somebody who you can communicate with. Right? I mean, even if you're overseas and you're traveling, pre-COVID, you're traveling overseas and if you hear somebody who is a different skin tone, but they're speaking your language, you're going to gravitate towards that person because you can, you can communicate. Okay, so God at this time changes the language. Oh, and by the way, if God changed the language, that means he changed their thinking. He changed their physical abilities because do different tongues twist... Uh, different tongues. Do different languages twist the tongue differently? Okay, so that had all of a sudden something, something mentally, something physically had to happen in that changing of the language. Yes? God is showing his ability. Could God right away have put uh, subgroup um, differences in their bodies? 
Could he have, could he have said, okay, this subgroup, their hair is going to have a different texture. Their skin cones going to be. Could, could he have done that? Okay. Could he have helped in the, in, the, in the procreation process to help manipulate certain traits to become dominant? I mean, can God work in a woman's womb and a, a child's DNA? Yes. Okay. So you have this that they gravitated, and if they're gravitating and then they start having a certain genetic characteristic, you know, generation after generation, doesn't take long before it becomes a dominant and exclusive trait. So you have all of that happening, which either immediately at Babel, like there was an immediate change physically within that generation or the next one, or there was, uh, over a short period of time, a development of the different, quote-unquote, what is called now races. Okay, so we have that, that possibility in Scripture, but we still go back to this idea. We are all one race. Then why is there so much prejudice? Is it still a problem today? Does it ever happen in Christianity? Yes. Why is that a problem for us? Sin. We have a sin tendency. And part of the sin tendency, what is, what is Ezekiel called the granddaddy of all sins? Satan was filled with it. Pride. What is ba- the basis of prejudice? I am better than, and I can base it on what type of things? Well, obviously we're talking skin color. What else is prejudice showing up as? Intelligence? Is that what you said? Okay. Anything else that people get prejudice over? Money? Do people stay away from people because of the money differences? Okay. Okay. The physical appearances in general. Can people be prejudiced towards individuals who are, have physical handicaps? Okay. Can we be prejudiced between genders? Yes. All women are... Al, was that you? He turned around and looked. That was him. <laughs> is that is what you, what you're jokingly saying? Is that what people say? Are there some that say that? Okay, I'll give you one. All blondes are. See now, a lot of you jumped on that one. Okay, is that a form of prejudice? Okay, um, we do it by clothing. We do it by by level of. So why is it wrong for us as believers to be prejudiced? Give me a, give me a biblical reason. Why? We're all made in the image of God. Give me another biblical reason why, why prejudice is wrong. Oh, go ahead, Troy. What do you mean? Okay, in your witness, you, you have to... Okay. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so none of us should feel superior. Oh, by the way, can there be prejudice based on religious beliefs? Did that ever happen historically? Does it happen now? How so? The Muslims, Christians, both sides, right? right. Does it ever happen that born-again people feel prejudiced towards unsaved people? That we are... We're superior in a way because we got the truth and those idiots don't have it. Does that, does that ever come into hearts? It can. It can. Can a church like ours, which is predominantly white, okay, which we don't make apology for, okay, it doesn't, doesn't mean we're bad because most of us are white. Contrary to popular society, okay, I don't need to apologize that most of us are white. But can we become prejudiced? Yes. And so, is it our goal that we keep the gospel only to, to us? Okay. No, we don't believe that. We don't believe that. We don't want to practice that. But could we?
Could we easily fall into that temptation? Yeah. So we, we need to, and I'm going to stop. We need to talk about, and I'm going to start here. I want to talk about two things next week that are very important. One is why we want to avoid prejudice. And by the way, in the local church, what was the most, think of the illustrations. Where was, what, what, how was prejudice portrayed in the local church, early church? Jews are better than Gentiles. Any other way? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. They were suffering the persecution Christian within the church. Okay, what else? The diet, different positions about food. Okay, freed slaves and those under bondage. Um, illustration, okay. We'll take, I mean, Tom, you're just sitting here, you volunteered. You, Tom... You come in dressed all nice. We'll let you sit in the very front. You look like a slob. Okay. So you're going to the back. Did that happen in the New Testament? Yeah. Yeah, in the churches. It happened that way. Okay. So do churches have issues with prejudice? Yeah, so we need to discuss that. There's another issue I want to discuss next week. And that is, why didn't the Bible become more um, bold in condemning slavery? Do you think this is going to become a problem for us? In our culture right now, are they rewriting history based on the sin of slavery? And if you didn't oppose it, Folk, we're going to have to answer for this in, in very quick, in, in the now and now. Why doesn't your Bible condemn slavery the way that we would like it condemned? And frankly, the Bible did not call for abolition of slavery. How come? Why didn't? It? We're going to deal with that next week. Okay, hang on to your comments with it. Okay, because I'm leaving it, I'm twisting my words purposely. Okay.